Greetings, greetings. What's up, everybody? Hi. Is everybody getting? I have internet this time. Echo on me? No. Okay, just on my side. All right. Well, we're already recording because Scott, we decided we we're going to start doing this for a change. Because yeah, usually the best part of the show is before we hit record. So. Madison, good to connect with you. Hello. How are you? I'm very good. I'm very, very good. How are you doing? Good. I got new glasses so I can like actually see things now. Nice. 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 They match your uh, outfit and whole, you know, blue. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, Thanks. Good. <laughs> uh, so, so before we sort of jump into it, I don't know how much Scott has said in the past or how much you've, you've heard, you know, we'll talk about anything you want. We'll avoid any topic you want. We, we don't want to make people talk about something they're not comfortable talking about. I don't think that's a be an issue with you. I think you're pretty happy to talk about everything and anything, which I also makes me excited for you to have a guest. But if there's something you don't want to talk about, you know, we won't go there. Um, okay. But uh, and we'll you know we'll sort of dive into your your background, your history of sales. I'll I'll clearly want to understand why you wanted to know Scott Lease in your life. Um, <laughs> I'm, Scott, Scott, I'm just trying to make the pre-recording interesting. Remember, so Scott's fired. So, um, and, and then we'll just sort of take it wherever it goes. Um, and if there is, okay. if there's something specific you do want to talk about, let us know. We want to make sure we cover it. And then at the end, we'll we'll turn it around on you and and say, hey, how can we help you? What can we do to support you, um, either in yourself, your career, um a cause you're behind that you want to talk about or, you know, anything like that. So that, that's sort of okay. the, gist of it, and we roll with it. Sounds Thank good. You. Cool. All right. Well, let's go ahead and uh, click start. You know, here's the clap. Boom. Hey everybody. Welcome back to another edition of the surf and sales podcast. It's the first one where we've actually done the pre-meeting session and for the record yep that's about as much planning we do going into every single episode <laughs> there's not a lot of science to it i uh, want to give a shout out to lead 411 our sponsor uh, who has this amazing intent data a great uh, uh, plug-in to work off of linkedin so if you're looking for better leads and lead data information and cell phone numbers uh, by all means uh, be sure to check out lead 411 so without further ado We'd love to welcome to the show, and I don't even know what to, what your title is. So, Madison Butler, um, what what? How do we call you? What do we what do we? Well, not that we, how do we call you, but what is your title? What is your role? Wait, but can I try Madison Butler, recruiting expert, DNI expert, HR expert, and much to her chagrin, sales lady. <laughs> Something like that. I think that's that's pretty on on, on the nose. <laughs> pretty good. And by the, and by the way, former uh, former colleague of mine at uh, at Qualia, which is how we we know each other. So thanks thanks for coming on the show, Madison. Oh, thanks for having me. How's the uh, your new your new home in Lago Vista, Texas? It's good. I have like so many deer. Like yeah. it's like I totally understand the hype of being a Disney princess. They like let me feed them and touch them. Oh my god, it's so cute. <laughs> Nice. That's fantastic. Nice. So, My six dogs aren't really down though. They don't really love the deer so much. I've, yep. So Scott even introduced you as much to your chagrin expert in sales. What, what is, where's that coming from other than Scott, maybe just trying to provoke you a little bit. It, well, 
so interestingly enough, and I haven't even gotten to tell Scott this yet. So when the world like ended, um, I work at a startup. I'm really a startup kind of enthusiast. And so that kind of meant when we pivoted our business model, it was like, you're going to just do whatever works for you. And what was I doing? Sales. <laughs> Um, but so when I was at Qualia, I worked predominantly on the sales team, um, recruiting and hiring on that side. So recruiting, I know, kind of gets looked at as a sale, although I try to not look at it that way. But why not? Like, educate us, because I, I think I'm like Scott, where I do think it's a sale, right? What, so, why is it not? Okay. So with a sale, like you're trying to sell me something that I need and convincing me that I need it. Um, the way I look at recruiting is if I have to convince you to take a role with me, then it's probably not the right role for you. And so I'm always playing the long game. So I'm always thinking about retention. I'm always thinking about like, how can I give people the best experience? And it's like, if I have to come beg you and plead you to come work at my company, chances are I'm going to be filling your seat in six months. And so when I place people, I don't do it because I'm trying to hit KPIs or metrics. Like I really genuinely care about people's livelihoods and what they want to do in their life. And so I don't want to place you in the wrong company just to hit my metrics or hit my goals or hit my numbers. I'd rather be like, listen, if this isn't the right company for you, like how can I better network you to find you the right company? So I try not to position it as a sale. And so I think the other thing is, and it gets really broken in recruiting is we only talk about the good stuff at our organizations and we don't like say the like hard truths about things like at Qualia, we don't necessarily tell people like you're going to work till 10 PM a lot of the time. Enjoy. And like, you don't talk about those things. And I, and I would much rather see people set those boundaries in the interview being like, oh, I, I don't want to work till 10 p.m. every night. I want to be able to go to my kids' soccer games. I want to be able to do these, these things rather than, you know, six months down the road being like, this doesn't work for me because I have a life. Yeah. So it's interesting. I, I hear, I, I work with Scott. I worked for Scott many years ago. And I can see why he gravitates to you because he's, and I learned this from Scott is, I don't need to convince you to take it here, you know, and Scott's one of my favorite things I learned from Scott was let, let by all means, let's talk about Scott um, and how no. wonderful he is. Uh, uh, one of my favorite things he taught me was to be able to say to someone, Hey, you know, I, you're kind of saying all the right things, but I'm not sure this is the right mm -hmm. fit. I want you to go do me a favor. I want you to go home, walk out of here, think about it. And if you think this is the right fit, call me and let me know. And he sort of pulls the takeaway, yeah. right? Um, and and if that person calls within 24 hours, we we in that role at that time because of what we were doing, we, we typically hired him at that point. Um, in most cases, not every case. Um, so it's interesting because you don't see all those things that you're doing as a as sales, and uh, you know, from my vantage point, they are right. And it's not about you know. Oftentimes, people think selling is telling, when in fact, it's all about listening. Right. And it's sort of like, look, if this isn't a good fit, just say so. It's about a conversation. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's kind of it. And then the, the rest will take care of itself, including your metrics and KPIs. For sure. So, so I, I, I'm going to say, yeah, you know, Madison, you're in sales. She's, in, she's very much in the modern way of selling. <clears throat> I think what she, she really has a bad taste in her mouth about is sort of the old methods and methodology of, of selling, which is, sort of what she was saying, like, I'm here to try to convince you to do something or to buy something. And I don't want to convince anybody. And that that's, you know, historically, that's how a lot of sales orgs have been run. I think that that's evolved quite a bit. Um, and she's, you know, 
one of the things I love about her is how outspoken she is on, on all, on all this stuff. So I just kind of like to poke and prod a little bit because she is kind of modern selling, you know, in my mind right now. So let, 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 let's talk about your, um, your writing and the content that you create and everything like that. I want to know, and I've asked you this before, but like every time I see your posts, I just want to know, I mean, every post that you write is getting thousands of interactions, right? So how, what is your strategy for dealing with the inbox and the messages and the connection requests? And like, how do you, do you care at all to remain like, um, private versus public or, or just how accessible are you? I just want to know how you balance all these kind of things because there, there's some people that I know who are getting into this kind of content creation world who are dealing with these things for the first time. And they're like throwing their hands in the air after a, a hundred like post. Meanwhile, you're getting <laughs> every post, right? Talk to us about that. For sure. So I try to remain pretty accessible. Um, sometimes it's hard because I get like a hundred plus messages a day at this point. Um, and I think I'm averaging like 1500 connection requests a week or something wild like that. Uh, <laughs> and so I try to remain accessible for the people who need my voice whilst remaining private to the people who aren't so happy about my voice. Like I don't really respond to like some of the hateful messages I get. Um, comments are different. If you leave a comment, I'm probably going to say something snarky and then like exit the chat. Um, but people who reach out to me for advice about career stuff or people who are especially like black women who are really trying to find their own voice in corporate America, I try to remain really accessible to them. I know you know how much I hate influencers and somehow I ended up in this space where like I keep getting called one. Um, and that's thing I don't like about influencers is they're not accessible people and they're not realistic. So when we think about like HR influencers, um, one of the biggest ones is Liz Ryan. And I like loathe her content because it's like warm fluffy stuff that like job seekers don't need to hear because it's not realistic it like basically says that nothing is ever your fault companies are trash and like you're never the problem and that's just not that's not real life um so I want to be able to give people like real life advice on how to make yourself you know better looking to an organization how you can do better in your next interview but especially as black women like how can you present yourself in a way that's authentic to you um, but still be able to be successful in all of these things that are seemingly extremely hard in corporate America. Is it, do you think that we're moving towards a direction of like influencer 2.0 where maybe the influencer word is, is less reviled? Like, you know I mean? I, I don't like yeah. the word influencer either. It has this weird negative connotation, but the fact of the matter is like, you're getting hundreds of thousands of views on the things you write, like you are influential. So I wonder if influencer 2.0 is somebody who's influential, but remains accessible and, and, and real and practical, right? In the, in the advice that they, they give. Do you, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, and I think it's also around like the authenticity piece is like not losing yourself based on what people wanna hear. Um, and so that's something, you know, that I'm proud of myself for doing is like, despite what people want to hear, um, I'm going to just talk about the things that I, I, I want to talk about, um, whether or not, you know, Joe on the internet is upset about it. I'm not going to like tone myself down to make others comfortable. And so I think there's a piece of influencers that I don't feel like is super authentic. I feel like they're just saying what they want to say to get those likes and get those views versus like 
actual real stuff like how many times do we see like copy and pasted stories that like you know that didn't happen like on the list of things that never happened they're very high up there but they've got like a hundred thousand likes and you're like this is literally the fakest thing I've ever read but people keep they keep liking it and they keep sharing it and they keep copying and pasting it like that's the stuff that like irks my whole soul I want to I want to dig in well there are two things first I'm going to say apparently you're very good at things you say you don't like so you you don't like being in sales so you know you're, you're very good at it you don't like um um some other piece so my my first question is who don't you like to win the super bowl this year because that's who i'm gonna bet on so well i'm never um, gonna want the patriots to win i'm from new england and like there it is fans are just all right scott a lot. yeah scott all he's right, all our we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna take all the you know the the you know thousands of pennies that we're getting from our sponsor and we're gonna put them all on the Patriots to win the Super Bowl thanks to Madison <laughs> Bowling. So I don't know they don't have Tom Brady this year so who yeah. knows what could happen. Yeah, they'll they'll be all right. But here's here here's my more serious question because uh, I am about as far from a black woman as one can be. Right, I am a, I'm a white male. I'm also heterosexual. Um, grew up in Georgia. So I know I have some internal biases just based on how I saw and did things, but you said something about what it's like, you know, encouraging African-American and black women to be their authentic self and not just say the right things. I wouldn't even know what that is. Like what, what is, and please tell me if I use this phrase wrong, what is the face you felt like you used to have to put on versus what you would now put on? What are women facing, African-American women facing? Because it's, I need to be educated. No, for sure. And so the way I, or the way we phrase it is code switching, which basically means like when you show up to certain places and certain venues, you put on a different persona. And so a lot of times that can be making sure that you straighten your hair or you turn on your phone voice from nine to five. So you sound a little softer, a little bit nicer during the day. Um, just things that make people less threatened by your existence. And so I straightened my hair for the longest time. I never had unnatural colors. Um, just because we're seen as being either risque or what have you, or speaking up in a meeting, you're now the angry black woman or you're aggressive. I probably get called aggressive and angry or mean on like a daily occurrence. I think I had it 12 times on my post yesterday. Um, there was a woman who was like, you just need to be more approachable. And like, it's not my job to be approachable. Like, it's not. It's not my job to make you feel comfortable. It's not my job to make sure that the things I say don't make you want to run away. Like, not my job. And so I think a lot of times, um, as Black women, we don't say the things that we want to say. And so it hinders us in our career, because if you're not saying the good ideas in your head, you don't have the ability to showcase how smart and how brilliant you are, because you're too constantly worried about what people are going to think about you having said that idea out loud. Is so I'm gonna again I'm I'm gonna be because I am dumb on this stuff. I've never until you said it I've never heard the phrase code switching. I don't know Scott maybe you've heard it. Um, I've only it, heard I've only heard it in the last few months because it started to become more talked about. Okay, and has it always been like in in your conversations with your peers who I in some cases maybe more African American or Black people? Is that a common phrase that you've been using for years and we're just now hearing it? Yeah, for sure. And I think it starts like really young because I think even if you look at, you know, media and the things you see on TV, they position it like there's a certain way you have to be black in order to be successful. And so 
even if you looked at specifically LinkedIn's Amplified Black Voices list, there is not a single Black woman on there with natural hair. They all have straightened hair. And they, interestingly enough, asked me if I wanted to be on that list and then decided against me, most likely because I'm a little bit controversial. I use a selfie as my picture, whatever, it's fine. Um, but like, Call them out. Write that one. <laughs> Write that one, Madison. <laughs> Um, but so often, like, even just, like, the state of our hair, like, literally the way the hair grows out of our head is seen as unprofessional. And, like, obviously, I don't choose to have curly hair. It just shows up this way. Um, and so it really comes down to, like, as a white woman, when you have curly hair, like, no one ever says anything to you. Um, but there are some companies, like, even Cons Electric, which is a big appliance company here, in their handbook, it says their employees can't have braids, even though, like, having braids is a protective hairstyle for a black woman. I, I mean, I'm... I'm blown away, Scott. You need to ask a question because I'm digesting <laughs> that's all this because, that's because, in shock. By the way, because, because I don't. Mind blowing. It's because it's mind blowing. Well, people like you and I, Richard, we don't ever think about these things, and unless we're around people who talk about it and we're proactively educating ourselves on this stuff, it's not going to show up for us. Yeah, right? I, which is which is which is how these biases continue, right? And but I, 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 I'm not so sure that I don't think about it. I just don't think I've ever vocalized it. I am sure that I have looked at someone and made that prejudgment, right? That prejudice. I have um, literally, there's no way, I'll tell you right now. And I'm, I'm going to go back and look at this list that Madison just talked about. 100% honesty. No way I noticed that there's not a single black woman on there who didn't straighten their hair or color their hair or whatever. Like I would have never... I don't think about that. And that I don't say that I think about it now, but I can see in my earlier career, because I'm old enough to have had an earlier career where I probably did pass those judgments. So I'm, I'm, I'm appreciative of being taught and now I'm feeling very guilty for that. And it's not the, you know, I'm not looking for white guilt and white guilt sympathy. It's like, that's what I was raised with. I'll own it and I'll move, learn from you, it and I'll move how you, on. How do you deal with um, all the nasty messages? that you get. It's one thing for salespeople to deal with, you know, rejection or, you know, people telling you to F off on the phone, don't call me again type stuff. But like, I see some of the things that people say to you. And I don't know, I, don't, I mean, you have like thick skin made of armor, you know, um, at least outwardly, you have that. How, how, do you have some sort of strategy or superpower for dealing with this garbage that comes your way? Snarkiness? mostly. Yeah. Um, no, so earlier in my 20s, I dated someone who was super, super verbally abusive, super, super racist, just a great time, breakup made BuzzFeed, good times all around. Um, but having lived through that, it was like I came out of that being like, oh my god, like nothing that anyone ever says to me ever again is ever going to save me because I refuse to like put myself in this box in order to make people comfortable. And so like I, I realized that a lot of what people say to me is a lot of projection, like hurt people hurt people. And so if you feel like you need to come, like, say wild things to a stranger on the internet, so be it. Um, I am pretty snarky. I, I give it right back. But I try not to think about it, like, in a way of, like, clearly you're in a worse place than I am because you're out here risking it all, risking your whole career to tell me you hate me. Yeah, I don't think, I don't think people are thinking that far ahead, which, <laughs> you know, I, I kind of love because it's time for those people to get put on blast and to have some... Yep. As it I happened last my, week to a friend of ours, come, right? As I tell my children, some natural consequences might come your way, you know. Yep, uh, but the I don't internet think is forever. Yeah, yeah. So, I, yeah, I, there was... Go, go ahead, ahead, Scott. 
Well, I, I, I don't experience anything near what Madison experienced, but I, I need to like work on my not giving a fuck on certain messages because I had a troll a couple days ago who probably commented like 25 to 30 times on one, one post. The post yeah. has, you know, 125,000 plus views on it right now. And this troll was just everywhere. And I'm like, at one point I wrote, are you done for the day or something like that? Like, what are you doing? Are you unwell? Like, I can't, I can't handle it. I'm not, I'm not used to it, you know? So I'm, I'm impressed every day by how you deal with all the bullshit, both in snarkiness and just not letting it affect you and all that kind of stuff. The only thing that's still weird for me is like the like really active death threats. Like those are still really bizarre. Only because I don't ever really know what to do with them. <laughs> oh, those are the people you put on blast. Oh, oh, she oh, does. Oh, she does. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, she does. She does. Yeah. <laughs> those, those are the ones you just send to the cops and say, "Look, here's evidence." You know. So. Yeah, um, and I mean that's the other thing. Like that's also weird being a black woman who lives in a very conservative town. I definitely did call the cops. They definitely never called me again. <laughs> so it's like when I and then when I dated that really abusive guy, it was like I called the cops multiple times and like nothing happened. So it's you call the cops, but it's. I'm, I'm more scared of them coming to my house, honestly, than anything else. It is, right? So that's the difference between, well, that's a natural thing for me as a white guy to think. And you're like, wait, Richard, like, <laughs> you're talking to me. Do you not see me? Like, do you, like, have you not paid enough attention? So, um, you know, it's just, it, I'm having a very specific moment through this interview. So thank you, Madison, for pushing I me. Feel, Madison, I, I feel like the time is right and apt for you to put all these thoughts and stories together and everything and, and really write about it and, and put it into a, to a book of some kind or, or some type of, you know, training program or things like that. Like talk to us a little bit about what you're up to right now and, and what you're thinking about as you move forward, you know, in your, in your career. For sure. Um, so, you know, in my full-time role, I'm the VP of people at Sourcecraft Cocktails, because who doesn't love cocktails and tech in the same unit? Um, I also do some facilitation and training creation for Seapine. I have a, my own training called Make Space, um, which is all around anti-racism and DEI. And it's just, so for me, I think a lot of DEI trainings are done wrong. You basically like shove everyone in your organization in a room and like talk at them. Um, when in actuality, like every single team needs to have a very different lens on how they approach anti-racism and how they approach DEI. Like your sales team doesn't need to be looking at DEI the same way like your engineering team does. They have very different functions. Um, so why are we teaching them the same core activity? Um, so the way I look at it is from a team lens perspective and like looking at your sales team and how can I help them create more equitable spaces and have more equitable conversations with your customers versus your engineering team, which is like, how do I help you make sure that you're creating algorithms that are unbiased and mm -hmm. like algorithms that are going to fit the entire population, not just the population you're viewing as a white male or as a white woman or as a black woman. Um, so I just, I think that we, we've done it wrong. And so, so often we like shove all these people in a room and like 2% are actually paying attention while the other ones are just like jazzed to be away from their desk. What about, what is the, this is going to sound silly, but like, are companies waiting way too long to, to do that stuff? Like when, when do you introduce that? Like, okay, let's say that Richard and I started a, you know, a startup today or whatever, right? Like, should, should we be working 
with you and, and getting these biases in, out of the code like right away? I would imagine so, but they're not, ha it doesn't happen until what stage? Like how late are companies to the party in trying to fix these things, even those companies who are trying to be proactive? So I always think it's like they got to 100 people and they looked around their whole sales team and they're like, oh my God, we only hired white dudes wearing Patagonia vests. How do we fix it now? And it's like, it's really hard to fix things when you've already created this footprint because you've already probably built out your sales team and now you've got to wait for people to leave to introduce new people or make the team too big and then everyone doesn't have enough accounts. Um, so for me, the way I look at it is like, at the point that you have two people is when you should start having the conversation because you need to create this dynamic that fosters diverse and inclusive environments. Because if you have a homogeneous team, it's really hard to tell them now, except someone who looks different than you, except someone who is different than you. And I think, you know, we get really caught up in this whole like culture fit thing. But when we ask for culture fit, we end up asking for a lot of sameness and similarities instead of being like, how do people bring values to our team and how do we allow them to just take up space instead of trying to like create spaces for them because everyone will need a very different space and so i try to have these conversations like pre-seed series a versus series b when you're probably at you know 100 plus people and now you're trying to figure out how do i make sure that everyone here is anti-racist you probably didn't do a great job hiring and now you're trying to teach lessons to people who don't actually care they're just going to fake it because they want their job what, 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 go ahead, Richard. Yeah, so on the flip side of that, what's it like from your perspective? It's like, oh, great, this is great new hot startup, and you walk in, and of course, you realize you're the only, as Kevin Dorsey says, right? Oh, I must be their token, right? Um, you, know, you know, what's that like from your perspective? Um, so what we call that in my world is pet to threat. <laughs> Um, so you make them look really interesting and diverse and they want you to be this like brown stock photo. Like, look, we have a black girl. Um, but at the point that you start talking about the things that are wrong and the things that are broken, you then come a threat to the organization. You become a threat to their sameness and to the things that they've kind of swept under the rug. Um, so that's always my biggest fear with being the only is you're expected to be the only and you're expected to also be silent. What did you call it? Pet, yeah, pet to threat. Pet to threat? So I guess, yes. And so it's okay. like they, they want, especially you see it a lot with companies that have chief diversity officers. Because like, let me tell you, most chief diversity officers like don't actually have the ability to make any decisions. So it's, just, it's, just like, it's just like a paper champion, basically. Like they have no real, no real yeah, weight. They're, yeah, they're there to impress the investors, impress the board, slap it on your website. So your, you know, your customers think you're doing a great job. But it's like you end up with people who just run in circles. And when you look at chief diversity offer officer retention, they have like some of the lowest retention out of any of the roles out there right now. So what's, what should, in your ideal, if you have a chief diversity officer, what kind of decisions should they be empowered with? Well, I'm a big fan of firing racists. Um, but it needs to be like, I don't think you're, you should be hiring a chief diversity officer unless you can answer the question of like, what problem are you trying to solve? And if that problem is making sure your investors are happy, then don't hire that person. Also, if you're not ready as the CEO, as a CFO to like check your own biases and have this person help you be better, then you're also not ready to hire that person. And I think a lot of what happens is like CEOs aren't ready to hear about the things they did wrong and that they're doing wrong. 
Um, so instead they end up forcing people out of the business and just rehiring and going in this like constant cycle of like rehiring a new CDO and then they say the same things and then they leave again. What's, what's the difference between someone who has a bias and someone who would be a racist? Cause I think I, I read, I've been reading about this a lot and mm -hmm. particularly I think in, in, in the Caucasian mindset, um, we only think of the racist as someone who's so outwardly inward using you know, those people, some of those, you know, those things that are there. Is, is bias really racism? And we've just tried to soften the word because we don't like being called a racist. Like, what does it mean? Like, I don't, again, I'm educating myself. And, you know, you can call me out on anything. So, I, I won't be offended. No, sure. I'll, I'll so there is a difference between implicit and unconscious bias. Um, so, I would say unconscious bias are the things that like we need to be able to check ourselves on because at some point it does become willful, willful ignorance as adults. Like we have to be able to like do better. Um, but then there are people who like know what they say is wrong. So for example, I had this like woman come on my post on Friday and she was a VP of HR, which is always super concerning to me when all the racism like is stemming from your HR department. That's and she was just like, well, I'm not really willing to respect blacks until they stop killing each other. This is, I, I saw this. This is verified by me, Richard. This, this, woman, this woman is a VP of HR somewhere. I should say Would was. You, I should say yeah. was. <laughs> and so she also said that like black people shouldn't feel entitled to live basically until we stop killing each other. So like that is like blatant racism. Now there's, the, there's unconscious bias. So like a great example of unconscious bias is when you're interviewing a black woman and you say, oh my God, I'm so surprised by how well-spoken you are. Now, you may have thought that was a great compliment. You didn't know that was really offensive. But then you have to like think back in your head of like, why am I surprised that she's well-spoken? Like, why is that shocking to me? Would I have said that to a white man? Would I said that to a white woman? And if the answer is no, then you have to like continuously just like coach yourself. I'm like, when you're speaking, like, don't say that thing. Don't talk about her hair. Don't, don't touch her hair. Um, like I went out um for like a client meeting last year and the the account executive that came with me like just like bopped my bun a little and was like oh that's fun and I was like what are you why are you touching me and so people don't realize that those things are just like a little bit a li definitely a little bit biased but like they're doing it really unconsciously and they don't mean to be offensive although it is offensive it's a microaggression um whereas my friend on LinkedIn like definitely knew what she said was like wild and like her dislike for black people came right out. And so when your dislike for black people is like loud like that, I'm going to call it racism. Um, when you're doing things most likely unconsciously, it's definitely a bias, product of environment, product of how you grew up, doesn't make it better, but those are things that can be worked on and coached. And like your level of self-awareness is really important there, um, where I'm not here to fix like actual racism. I'm not gonna argue with people around like why I should survive traffic stops. It almost sounds like if they've made a conclusion about somebody or something that can define the racist side of it, as opposed to the unbiased, which isn't necessarily a conclusion, right? Of of I hope maybe I don't know. I'm I'm trying to define your definitions, which probably isn't appropriate either. So, um, but it it's good. This so I'll stop. No, no, and I, I feel like you're right. It's like when when you have to argue with me about like why I matter or why my life matters, then I feel like you're already at the point of no return. 
And I, I really think we're in this in this new world now where it's no longer going to be scarier to tell your boss that Jack was a racist. It should be scarier for Jack to be a racist. And that's really the, the precipice that we've been waiting for in corporate America because so many people don't say anything because HR gets a bad rep for protecting the business and not protecting people. So what do they do? They push the person who made the complaint out of the business while keeping Jack because maybe Jack hits quota every month and is a great sales salesperson and team lead. You really think that's going to change though? Like I, I feel like it is, it's, it, you know, it's in some ways, you know, I, I, you know, the me too movement has done a great thing for women in general, but I also know that the misogyny still exists. Guys are just for less sure. vocal and, and, and forward about it. I know that it's happening. I've heard for sure. it. And so, and so, I mean, I, I do think things will change because like none of us are above an away scandal. Like not a single one of our companies is above like whatever happened at away. And no CEO wants what happened to away to happen to them. And it's like, you protect your revenue and your bottom line by removing your liabilities. Because what happens is you get an Amy Cooper and you, the whole world finds out at one time that she's a racist, and now you have a class action lawsuit from anyone she's ever interviewed or managed that was a person of color or a woman. No one wants that. Got it. I had to plug in my computer. You, that's okay. <laughs> so what are the couple strategies that you are advising black women specifically on who want to break into tech? Like, what is the, what is the advice that you are giving them? Do your homework on the companies you join. And that doesn't mean like talking to leadership. I mean, like doing your research, reach out to someone on LinkedIn, on Facebook, on whatever it is and be like, Hey, can we talk about your experience? Like, I've like, had this employee, like employees who are there now and maybe yeah. employees who have left, you mean? Like keep, keep research. Knock the door. What you're going to hear people interviewing you, like, people who are going to tell you the honest truth. I mean, people, I mean, I've been gone from Qualia a year now. People still message me all the time to be like, hey, can we talk about your experience? Can you tell me, you know, how it was there? And I'm really happy to see people doing that more because I think as, as Black women, especially like you can experience a lot of trauma at work, um, whether it be microaggressions or like flat out racism or like flat out men say weird things because like Black women get fetishized a lot. Um, but then you end up carrying that trauma with you, even to the good companies. And so I would much rather be able to create a network where people know where they shouldn't go and where they're not going to be valued and appreciated. Um, I'm not interested in being anyone's stock photo. So I would like to know before I get there, like how you're going to treat me. And I don't want it to be you hired me because I'm, I look yeah. black on a, in a now, picture. <laughs> and, now, and now what about once, once someone's there? Okay, so, so someone has done deep research everything seems to check out. This is a good place. This is a safe space. Checks all the boxes, right? Like, okay, now you're there. What is your, what is your advice now? Like, how do you excel? How do you thrive? Is, is, are there different strategies needing to be deployed right now, you think? So I think the most important thing is getting a mentor and getting a sponsor within your organization. A mentor is someone who's gonna help you get better at your craft a sponsor is someone who's going to go to bat for you when things are hard or when you know you deserve a promotion, but you are never going to be looked at for it. That person's going to step into management meetings and be like, so-and-so deserves this because they work really hard. And that's not your boss. That's not someone on your team. That is just someone who sees your value. 
Um, I think it's really important to find that person. And I think even outside of your organization, it's really important to find those people in real life as well. And, and, and how do you tell people or coach people to, to find these mentors or, or sponsors? This is a question so, that actually, yeah. in my opinion, completely crosses race and gender. Like, I think everybody has this kind of problem. Like, mm -hmm. where do I find a mentor? How do I get a sponsor, you know, in my company or outside of my company? Like, how do I find the right people and surround myself with people who can help me grow and succeed? Yes. And I think that is about taking the time um, outside of your everyday job to meet the other people within your organization and spending time with them. And so whether that means every week you commit to having two coffees with two new people, um, connections aren't made through Slack. They're not made through like work meetings. It's like you have to go get to know people and talk to them. And sometimes it's so hard to like step away from your desk or your living room or whatever it is that we do now because we're remote. <laughs> um, but I think it is really important to make connections with people who aren't on your team that you may never talk to otherwise. You know, being in people, how often am I ever gonna really interact with software engineers or my CTO or anything like that? And so I think it's important to be like, hey, can we just grab a coffee? Um, Slack has donut. Donut's a really great way to like, it takes the work out of it. it anonymously matches you with someone every week. <laughs> and it's like, here, you two, have a coffee, enjoy. Um, so I think things like that are really great. And I do think it's not like you have like the application for like, do you want to be my sponsor? It's, you know, when you talk to people, how you connect with them, and then you just continue that relationship. Are there, are there big sweeping changes coming to the HR and recruiting world that God, I hope so. blow, blow our mind? You hope so. So what, what might those be? If you had, if I gave you a magic wand right now, what, what are some of those big changes that you'd love to see? <laughs> Recruiting is so broken. It's so broken. It's like disgusting. Um, I was actually on a panel not that long ago and I've got to like stop agreeing to just do things without like knowing what I'm doing. Huh. But I was on a panel. <laughs> <laughs> Someone sent me a picture like during the panel and I just like looked horrified the whole time. Um, but they were talking about like diversity recruiting. And this woman literally said out loud that she Googles popular cultural last names and then throws them in a boolean search to like find diverse candidates and i was just like oh my god like first off you're never gonna find me my name is madison butler i sound like i am white and five and live on a farm like you're never gonna find me um but like so much of recruiting doesn't view humans as humans and views them as kpis um and like the whole experience is human and we do this whole let's fix the hiring process but like if you don't fix your company i don't care about your hiring process like if you make your hiring process super unbiased and you hire a bunch of diverse candidates but you didn't fire your racist managers you didn't offer trainings you didn't create spaces where they're going to value them do you do it any more of this or do you just like get up to kpis and metrics that your investors are like well to do that's so. fascinating that, no, that's that's really, really good. So how do we fix it, right? How do we, you know, how do we make steps to fix it? I don't know, you know, you're never going to fix it immediately, but what are the right steps forward? Well, I think the first thing is like, we have to stop trying to, I think Scott was talking, but I think he was muted. Yeah, it's the first time Scott did that, as opposed to me. <laughs> um, I think right now we're trying to use AI to solve like a bunch of problems and like you cannot use technology to solve human problems you have to like solve the human problem which means if you have racist managers you have to be willing to get rid of them 
AI is not going to fix them. AI is not going to erase their, you know, their biases. You're still going to have a problem. Even if your hiring process is perfect and they don't ask any stupid questions, they still have to manage people. Um, so for me, I think we spend a lot of time trying to figure out how we can get diverse candidates in the pipeline. We don't have a pipeline problem. There is no lack of black talent or female engineers. Like there's no lack of it. Um, you need recruiters who are willing to actually do the work and find the right candidate, um, not rely on AI and necessarily Boolean strings to do the work for them. So what do you, how do you do? Let's say you're a small company. Let's say you're 50 to 75 people. You're a startup. You're in Austin, San Francisco, New York, wherever, you know, Lincoln, Nebraska. As a recruiter, or if I don't have a recruiter and I am trying to bring in diversity, how do I find someone? Because we all sort of go up, salespeople, this thing, and then we just see what LinkedIn shows us, right? Like, how do I do a better job of that? So, for example, like if say you were trying to hire a, a designer and you really knew that you wanted to bring, you know, someone diverse onto your team, like there are so many groups geared towards that. Like you just have to message black design and be like, hey, I have a role for designers and I heard you have designers. Chances are they're going to connect you to black designers. The one thing I don't want is recruiters scrolling through LinkedIn being like, that person looks, they look brown. They look, they look brown. Um, I don't want to be, I don't want recruiters to do that because you can look at me and I could be anything. I could be black. I could be really tan. Like I could be anything. And so the other thing is like diversity is more than gender. It is more than race. It is more than religion. Like there is, when I think of like diversity, I think of it like the food pyramid. And so obviously, you know, religion, gender, uh, race are all going to be those like big chunky pieces because those are the pieces that like are more obvious, the things that people, you know, you can tell about them or they'll probably say, you know, kind of upfront. But like being a parent, being a non-parent, being a caregiver, like there are so many things that fall into diversity. Socioeconomic status, education, first spoken Like it's not enough. To do that, that. This reminds me of a story. When I was in my first ever sales job, I was selling with people who would sit next next door to me in the cube, and they would skip over particular people who were leads based on their picture. They would say, "Well, I don't want to talk to this person because of X reason. I'm not going to call that person because of Y." And the reasons were, you know, complete judgments. This person looks broke this person's going to talk with an accent i can't understand like all of those kind of reasons and they were cherry picking leads going about it that way and i can remember this is almost 20 years ago i can remember being blown away thinking what are you talking about you have literally no idea based on this person's picture what they're going to be like you know and i can remember having calls go horrible that based on a snap judgment of a picture i thought might go well and calls go fantastic and turn into sales with people that my neighbors would never have called. It's just like, it, it, it's difficult sometimes when you don't have that, that same mindset, but I didn't do anything about it, to be honest with you. Like I just sort of told them, you guys are idiots. You know, I don't understand why you're doing this. But you look back on it now, and rather than being a 27 year old kid in his first job like I was, and, and not speaking up and out and doing more about it, I would do a lot more now in the role that I'm in, right? To try to eradicate that kind of thinking. 
uh, from existence on my, on my sales floor, if I was leading a, a sales floor. And to your point, Richard, like, what do you do if you're kind of an earlier stage startup? I mean, we were by no means perfect at all at Qualia, but what, one thing that I did was when we outgrew the pace of my ability to continue to recruit all by myself, I had to go look for an internal recruiter. And what did I do in looking for an internal recruiter? I found Madison, right? And there's, no offense to Madison, there's hundreds of other recruiters <laughs> that I could have hired, you know, in, uh, in Austin. But you specifically know, like, this person's going to think differently than me. She's going to search differently than me. She's going to appeal to different people than me. Like, all of those are positives. All of those are a win. And as long as, you know, the skill set is there and the other attributes are there, like it feels like a no brainer kind of hire. So I think, you know, hopefully people do more things like that. And then when you work alongside somebody, you know, whether it's internal company like mentorship or this sponsorship of touting somebody doing work, like help people, women, people of color get promoted and, and, and rise through the ranks, right? That's one way it will change. It will change when the first five people in the, in the boardroom or, or the executive meeting are not all white Italian or Jewish men like us, Richard, right? That, that would probably help the situation. And I think that the, the narrative needs to change. Like so how many times do I have the conversation where people are like, well, I don't care what color they are. I just want to hire the best talent. You can hire the best talent and they still be black. You're not like, it's not one or the other. <laughs> and so I don't think people understand that or like the whole case of I don't see color, which is like, did you match your clothes this morning or did you not match your clothes this morning? Cause like, I know, you know, I'm black. Um, and so like, you can't erase people's experiences, but people really think that like, either you get a black candidate or you get the best candidate. And like that candidate can be the same person. You just have to do the work. How are you, I'm going to completely shift and it's probably the obvious question. Um, how are you feeling about Kamala as the VP selection? Um, Did you like it? Coming, not like rant it? coming. Here we go. I, she wasn't my first pick. Uh, that's for sure. Um, however, I, I do sympathize with what America is going to say and tweet and just because she is a black woman. Um, definitely not my first pick. Um, a lot around prison and pro-police and things like that. Um, however, as a black woman, I definitely understand like the hate she is about to get and it's not going to be because of either of the things I mentioned. It's just going to be because she's black and a woman. Right, right. Who, would, who, who did you like? I really would have loved to see Stacey Abrams in the VP spot um, or Elizabeth Warren. Got it. And what, what appeals to you about the two of them? Because they, they, you know, visually, they're the polar opposites. Yeah, no. So for me, it's definitely not visual. Um, obviously, we're making history right now with a Black woman in a VP slot. Um, but I think from a value standpoint, I align a little bit more with the both of them. Um, from an authenticity standpoint, I also align a little bit more with the both of them. Um, Kamala and I just aren't like eye to eye on a lot of um, political things. Well, what can That's clear. What can, uh, what can we do to help you, Madison, and support some of the things that you're 
passionate about and working on. Um, is there anything that, that comes to mind? Um, well, so the one thing I think is really important, which has to do with this, is like making sure that we are allowing our teams to like take the time to go vote. Um, I always worry in sales that people are too worried about hitting their dial to like actually go do voting and things like that. And so that's something I'm talking about in my organization right now is like, how are we going to make sure that people go do that? Um, but reminding people to register to vote. And this is, you know, 2020 is like super weird, super weird. Um, but I still think it's really important that everyone does take the time to get out and vote. Yeah. And then on the flip side is like, <laughs> and, if you are gonna, and if you are gonna vote, vote by mail, do it early. Yes, do it early. Um, and make sure that like, if you're not registered to vote, like let's get it done now. Um, not like last week of September or something like that. <laughs> um, and then on the flip side, it's like when you, when you hear, you know, people on your team or just in your family or people, you know, saying things that maybe it's a joke, maybe it's not, but it's like inherently racist, making sure that we're taking the time to call people out and have conversations about why this wasn't funny, why this was wrong, why it's not acceptable to say these things. Um, I think it is really important to note that a lot of people are never going to listen to people who look like me. However, they are going to listen to people who look like y'all. Um, and so that viewpoint and taking that stance is really important because it protects a lot of people who look like me. 2020, never been a better time to have uncomfortable conversations. Oh, I, I love a good uncomfortable conversation. It's like what <laughs> I do best. <laughs> As do I, even, even if I'm the one who's the most uncomfortable. So. <laughs> well, thanks. Well, I mean, I think, that's, I think that's, you know, the key to this change that I, I really think we're on the cusp of is like the ability to be comfortable getting uncomfortable and like unlearning all of the like weird shit that we've learned. I mean, even as a black woman, like there's a lot of internal anti-blackness that I've had to unlearn over the course of my 28 years of life. And so it's all a journey and all a process. I'd love to have that conversation another time. Cause I, again, I don't <laughs> know. I think it's, there, there are stories now being told that we just didn't realize or were, you know, conscious or woke, whatever you want to call it, like just paying attention to it. So I'd love to have that conversation, but we, we, this flew by. These, this hour went so it was really <laughs> awesome so uh madison thank you so much for joining us um we really really appreciate it and, and certainly a big shout out to um our our sponsors lead 411 please check them out if you are looking for direct dial phone numbers and a cool way to do a better job of searching on linkedin so thank you madison thanks for having me bye madison